Welcome to the Kevin and Philip Project, a podcast with two guys who love to eat, travel, talk sports, and have no idea how to raise teenage girls. Coming to you live from Salina, Kansas. Here are your hosts, Kevin and Philip. Welcome to season five of the Kevin Phillip Project. Uh, we're going to do things a little differently th- this first episode of the season. We're actually going to record a couple episodes tonight, but uh, we are coming to you live from the library sports bar and grill here in Salina, and we'll get to that here in just a second. But Phil is actually uh, missing right now, we'll say. So uh, we we had uh, James on for our last podcast of the last season and we got a overwhelmingly positive experience and and reviews from from that last podcast so we thought we'd bring you back on for a couple more so appreciate you joining now is that factual information are you just saying that that is pump me up since i'm sitting right across the table from you? it was pretty funny because it was kind of twofold one was a lot of people talked about the uh, the information that we discussed but more importantly, like you could just tell he was like comfortable in front of a microphone and, you know, just kind of those kind of things. And I'm like, well, that's what he does for a living, as you heard. So <laughs> that's I would awesome. hope that's the case. So Awesome, man. I had a blast. I'm excited to be back. Uh, football season's just around the corner. Yeah. It feels like uh, this is, I don't know about you, you've got kids, obviously, but I feel like this time of year is kind of that awkward window where the kids aren't quite back in school, but you've done all of your summer traveling yes. and major yes. sporting events, and there's just that awkward window of, what do I do with the kids? Yes. Like, summer's ran its course. Let's get them back in school. And uh, I feel like we're in the middle of it right well, now. Fortunately, my daughter is going to be a junior, and so she can kind of entertain herself a little mm-hmm. bit. But, yes, we had a whole argument about this whole – Staying up till midnight, sleep until ten thirty in the morning. Oh, yeah. These you got, you got to start getting ready for school because here in about a week, another week, you won't be able to do that. Yep. So, um, but I was told that she was old enough that that's not a problem anymore, and she'll be fine. Okay, so. okay, that's on her then, right? <laughs> we'll see. So, yeah. So, like I said, we're at the library here in Salina. Um, if you haven't ever been here, you need to come check it out. This is kind of our go-to. This is where we hang out quite a bit. Uh, you'll see Phil and, and myself here uh, when we do hit a bar here and there. This is where we come. The food is excellent. If you've never eaten here before, uh, you should definitely give it a try. So my daughter, we love cheese curds. They have the best cheese curds that I've ever had in my life outside of the state of Wisconsin right, right here at this place. Oh, man, that's great to hear. Who doesn't love a, a, a good cheese curd? Now, this is the Kansas Wesleyan Bar. This is. Is this the K-State Bar, too? KU Bar? Was it mostly, mostly just K-Dub? Um, we do our coaches show here. We do. Yeah, you do. Um, I would say that this is as much of a K-State Bar as I've seen recently. Okay. Um, but that is partly because there's a group of us that are regulars here. It's you. And, yeah, yeah. And we get people to come here. So <laughs> You've made it the K-State we, Bar. We, we've tried to go to other places. Um, the service typically is not as good. The food is definitely not as good. Um, so, and uh, Jason takes care of us. When he sees a, a group of guys in purple here, he'll make sure that 
the sound is on for that game, and, and uh, he'll take good care of us. So, yeah, it's uh, as much of a K-State bar as, as, uh, as I know That's of. That's awesome, so. man. Yeah. yeah, just found my spot, I think. Yep. No, it's, uh, it's a good place. So, uh, yeah, like I said, the food's ex- the burgers are excellent here. Um, they have a thing. It's called bar chips. They're like, I don't even, they're just slices of potatoes that they fry up. I don't know where they get them. I've never had them anywhere else. But they are another of the favorites here. They, uh, they're crispy on the outside. They're nice and soft <laughs> on the inside. It's, I don't know how Tony does it back there, but they're perfect. It's so. like you just read a radio ad for them. <laughs> yeah. You nailed it. Yeah, there we go. I'm sold. Yeah, Jason owes me a, a beer or two now. So, <laughs> so. No, so, hey, it's been uh, April since you were here last, since we did our last podcast. We're starting the new season here. So uh, over the summer, I saw you've uh, taken some trips and got a little – Away time before uh, you get a little busy. Uh, where all do you guys go this summer? Yeah, man, I, I love to travel. I, I love that it's part of my job with ESPN. But during the summer, there's no sports, at least this year. Um, yep. And so I, I still love to continue to get out and about. And I've got family and friends all over the country. So uh, went to Colorado, just a little family trip with uh, my parents rented a house, and we all went out there for that. And then my sister lives in Portland, Oregon, which, if you haven't been, is just uh, incredible. I've never been in that area, the Pacific Northwest. I want to go there so Kay. bad. Dude, if you go in the summer, it, it's it's like another planet. It's so foreign compared to every other part of the country. The weather is picture perfect. But they only get about four and a half months of that. The other seven and a half months out of the year, it rains right. every single day. Yep. So I've been up there in April, and it really it wigged me out because you don't you don't see the sun. It's like a just a mist. It's just foggy all the time, and so if you can deal with that and put up with that during the summer, there's not a cloud in the sky, no humidity, no bugs to be found. Hmm. Highs in the lower 80s, upper 70s. Up there, they feel like 80 is is like the end of the world. <laughs> it's you too know? hot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're all sweating. And they're just and, and we go up there and we're in hoodies in the morning, and it, it's just it's it's so cool. So did that. Uh, so Colorado, Portland, and then went to Cabo, Mexico. Uh, I'm a big fan of the all inclusive resorts. Yes, I try very. to go every year. Yes. So uh, Cabo was the destination this year, and now I'm. Now I'm done. Now I'm kind of in that awkward window for me, too, where I'm, I'm back, I'm here a lot, and I'm getting ready for football season. So tell me about Cabo. I want your opinion on Cabo. I've not, I've not been there. Phil goes there quite often. Um, I've, I've been on the Pacific side of Mexico before, but I've never been to Cabo. Compare it to, I'm assuming since you like all-inclusives, you've probably been to the Cancun, yep. that, that area, the, the Riviera Maya, all that. Mm-hmm. What do you think of, of Cabo versus that, that Gulf side of, of Mexico. Cabo, the, the city itself, was the nicest Mexican city I've ever been to. Uh, I've been to Puerto Vallarta. I've been to Cancun and Playa del Carmen area. Yep. Went down to Tulum. Uh, I've been uh, to the Dominican Republic. And Cabo blew them all away. That was the first time that I actually got off the resort and went into the city and did some exploring Mm -hmm. really cool bars and restaurants and little antique shops and pharmacies obviously is a big hit in mexico but you feel you felt safe and uh it it was a really really cool city i couldn't recommend it enough met some really interesting people we went to a bar when we actually went into the city so we went to a bar local hotspot and the owner was there and he's a retired guy, probably in his 70s. 
and uh, he was just talking our ear off. Super nice guy, but didn't really care about like who we were or what we do for a living. Just wanted to tell us his life story. Yep. And was bragging about all the celebrities that had been in there and how impressive his kids are. And one of them was a cop in in L.A. and the other one was like a uh, an attorney out there and told us all about how much money they make and where they went to school and all this stuff. And it just felt a little over the top, you know. So we get back here, and, like, we'd exchanged email addresses. I was going to uh, talk to his, his son. And, uh, anyways, we exchanged contact info, so I email him. So I've got his full name, and I Googled him. I'm like, something is just off. Turns out he had been fired from the L.A. Police Department. He was, like, a high-ranking L.A. police officer for, like, 30 years and basically, there was a huge scandal that he had been paid off by the Church of Scientology. Oh, wow. And was giving them information from the police side. And uh, it, it was this, this, there's a ton of articles about it. But um, essentially, that's why he was in Cabo. Wow. That's, uh, <laughs> he had to flee California. Right. Uh, and basically start a new life. Yep. And he had a different name. I was just able to piece it together yeah. through Google. Yeah. So uh, wow, that's cool. I mean, it was wild. It's it's crazy when you uh, when you travel and do those kind of things. And and uh, you know, my wife kind of makes fun of me every once in a while. Um, you know, I'm in sales and stuff, but I can sit down and talk to anybody. And and like I'll go like when I travel for work, I'll go sit at a bar by myself, mm-hmm. have dinner and drinks, and just have you know chat with everybody sitting at the bar there. And it's it's crazy the people that you meet and their life stories and things like that that you find out just sitting down and being nice to somebody for a little bit, yeah. you know. Yeah. So yeah, that, that's crazy. That's that's a cool story. So yeah, I, I asked that question because, and I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but uh, Puerto Vallarta is the place where I've been on the west coast of Mexico. Same deal. I love that area. Years ago, I did walk around there. I wouldn't do that now uh, with the landscape of Mexico. But um, if I, I always said if I could take Puerto Vallarta, the town, and move it to the east coast of Mexico on the Gulf side where the, the sand is a little nicer and the water's warmer and clearer, I would just always go there. Yeah. I love that side because of the beach aspect right. of it. Now, Cabo has the beach. Cabo is very different than Puerto Vallarta. Okay. I've been to Puerto Vallarta. I know what you're talking about with kind of the rocky cliff beach mm-hmm. side, uh, which it is a lot different. But Cabo did have the water okay. and the sand like you get on the eastern side. Yeah. Well, Phil tells me I need to go, so it's on our <laughs> list to, yeah. to check out. Just stay so. away from Gene. Yeah. <laughs> Gene. Yeah. <laughs> Don't go to the Brass Monkey. Yeah. So you got all your traveling in. Uh, you got a big schedule coming up. We uh, – yeah, I mean, if you've listened to this for the last four seasons, going on five, you know what my summer was like. It was softball and volleyball. Um, softball, I think we the girls ended up about thirty and six or seven somewhere in there. We won eighteen uh, U state for a bunch of sixteen and fifteen year olds. That's a pretty good accomplishment for them. Um, took runner up in another. They call it MoCam, but it's kind of a state between Missouri and Kansas. They do it in Kansas City every year. Ended up with a runner-up finish on that one. Got beat by a pretty good Kansas City team. But, uh, yeah, softball went well. Um, went to Lake of the Ozarks. 
It's interesting you mentioned the bugs because we had this conversation. Like, I've never been to Lake of the Ozarks before. I've been to other lakes in, in Missouri. We didn't have a problem with even in the middle of summertime. No, where the the house we rented and the dock we sat on, going out on the boat, we never had a problem with bugs the entire time. That's wild. Come back to Salina, and mm-hmm. freaking mosquitoes are all over you as soon as you get here. So, oh, yeah. I don't I don't know what the what the reason is behind that. We thought that was really odd. We literally sat there every night. We're like, there's no bugs. I mean, we had lights <laughs> on, and and it just I don't know. So. And then uh, we had the old Taylor Swift concert. Uh, we didn't. I didn't go to that, but uh, wife and daughter did with some friends. And Morgan said that was the best night of her life. So, um, yeah. I when got, she was at Arrowhead. Yes. How much did you pay for those tickets? If you don't mind me asking. No, we, a couple hundred bucks a ticket. What? So my wife spent the eight and a half hours okay. online she the did. day they went. They went on sale and got tickets from Ticketmaster when they first went on sale. Now, they were about four rows from the top of, of Arrowhead Stadium. Sure. But they did get tickets, and, and uh, they were the original ones. So they bought six of them. There were six of them that went. And, uh, yeah, I, I tried to get her to sell them. Right, because uh, they were going s- for thousands. Oh, we could have made $30,000 yep. if we would have sold them. Yeah. So, yeah, they said no. So, <laughs> um, But, uh, yeah, they uh, – well, that, that 18U state tournament I talked about that we won, it was here in Salina. So they played Saturday morning at 9.30, the day after the Taylor Swift concert. Uh-huh. So they got home at like 4 in the morning, got about four hours of sleep, and then had to turn around and get out there and play softball. So uh, a little bit of gut check time for them, but they did well. So And and there's four girls from our team that, were, that all went to that concert together. So... Um, they were tired, but they they got it done. Totally so worth it, man. It was, uh, yeah. And my wife and daughter have been listening to nothing but Taylor. I was going to say, do you know all the oh. T Swift songs now? I, I, I Death by a Thousand Cuts. I used to be Getaway Car. I, I was a fan of her Karma. like original stuff, right. but her newer stuff I've never really paid attention to. So, I mean, I I hear it now more than I used to, mm-hmm. just because they play it all the time. Um, be like her first couple albums, country albums. I really, I really have enjoyed her since those came out. So, um, and I told my wife this and my daughter this, and I don't know if you know this story out there, but uh, my favorite singer is Eric Church, mm-hmm. and so I found a connection between Taylor Swift and Eric Church. So apparently, Eric Church was on tour with Rascal Flatts okay. at the time. And Rascal Flatts fired Eric Church from that opening that tour because he played too loud and too long. Oh, wow. So when they fired Eric Church, they actually hired Taylor Swift. She had just come out with her first song, and they hired her to take his place on that tour. And so Taylor called Eric, was like, hey, I, you know, I don't want you to be upset about me taking this job and all that. He's like, nope, go for it. He goes, my only request is... When you get your first gold album, which will happen in the next couple of weeks after you go on this tour, I want it. And I, I'm sure it's a copy. It's not the original. But she, sure. a couple of weeks later, she sent him a, his, her gold album and said, thanks for playing too loud and too long and signed it and gave it to the him. The rest so, was history. So, yep, she took off from there. So. Man, that's a good story. Yeah, there that's you go. That's an awesome story. So, and then, uh, yeah, the other thing that I was going to mention before we get into some sports stuff here is um, – were you ever a baseball or football card? I was. Uh, so I, I didn't do baseball, okay. basketball, and football. 
my most prized possession was a Shaq rookie card, like mint condition. I think was? it was pretty elite. Well, I, it's somewhere. Oh, okay, I've, okay. I've, I haven't sold it. Okay. It's, so, it's somewhere. I've got okay. a whole stack of them. Uh, but yeah. Okay. Well, I uh, I've got I was when I was a kid from. I would I think it's about 84 85 till about 94ish I collected pretty much solely baseball cards. I do have some football but mostly baseball. And I hadn't touched them for a while and now I've kind of gotten back into uh card collecting. Mm-hmm. So down the road we're going to do an episode. I got a couple of people guests that are going to come on and we're going to talk about some card collecting stuff cuz it is completely different. Yeah, than it used to be. I know. Um, it is crazy the amount of money and, and the things that are going on right now in the card collecting yep. industry. So, And a lot of it's gone digital where, I mean, the, the cards themselves are obviously a tangible item, but there's a lot of Facebook groups where you can mm-hmm. do, like, these drawings and you can enter yes, X I'm amount of dollars for X amount of, of spots, yep. see what card you get. Yep. I know a lot of guys that are into that. It's kind of yep. nice that it's making a comeback, too. Yeah. You it, know, like, that's something from our childhood that's, really like, cool. back. It, it, it literally brings like this weekend I had some downtime and I was sitting in my office in my in in the basement just going through some cards like like I used to do when I was a kid like thinking about oh man I bet I know somebody who I bet I could trade these two Michael Jordan cards for something cuz he's a huge Michael Jordan f- fan and I had some <laughs> baseball cards from when he played with the White Sox so yeah it's uh it's interesting so yeah that's an upcoming episode we're going to talk a little bit about that so well let's get back to uh Let's let's continue on from our previous conversation. Um, for for those of you out there, if you haven't listened to that one, um, go back and listen to that one probably before you listen to the rest of this one. Um, but it was the last episode of the last season that we did when we had James on, kind of talking about his job and what he does and traveling around uh, for football and basketball games. But uh, you mentioned you got your schedule. What's your schedule look like this fall now? Yeah, so the the schedule really comes out in super small chunks. By I know my schedule. I know uh, week one, okay. what I'm doing. So I got a uh, Thursday Saturday combo. So there's only ten games on Thursday night, and I think ESPN only has eight of them. So I'm one of eight guys that got a, a Thursday Saturday combo, which is exciting in itself. So I'll go down to Tulsa. Remember week one, everybody's playing teams they can beat. Yes. You know the big games are on ABC. Yep. And ESPN Prime Time, and like they're not going to pair me with Kirk Herbstreet or anything like that. <laughs> not yet. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, so Thursday, August 31st, I go down to Tulsa. They play Arkansas, Pine Bluff, uh, FCS okay. school. And then I'll fly out Friday for Charlotte, and I've got a Saturday game, uh, September 2nd. Charlotte plays uh, South Carolina State or another FCS school. But. Uh, Two games right out of the gate, and then they just text me today. I see that we've got volleyball on mm-hmm. the big screen here, and you mentioned that you're a big volleyball fan. I've got Miami, Virginia Tech on a Sunday, like September 25th, uh, on ESPN. So um, everybody will be watching the NFL, but I'll be calling some ACC volleyball. So are you familiar with volleyball? Enough. Okay. Familiar enough. Uh, I've filled in some for Kansas State. Okay. I did a couple matches for Central Arkansas. I'm familiar enough because my 10-year-old daughter has played the okay. last two years. Yep. That's the extent of my knowledge. Okay. But I'm really good at making my analyst 
sound really good. Yep. You know, I ask, yep. I'm not afraid to ask a stupid question right. that, you know, they can probably answer in a really professional way. Okay. And volleyball is so fast. It's a lot like basketball where by the time you announce or say who's serving, I mean, they're back and forth. Yep. And so after that, it's just block, dig, point, right. essentially. Right. Um, <laughs> so I really like it. It's the closest sport to basketball for me just in terms of pace. You're always courtside. Um, I love volleyball. I think it's something that as I learn a bit, little bit more about the, 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 the depths of the sport, I think I could really, really start to, to fall in love with it because I, I do really enjoy it. Yeah, and I, I didn't know a lot about volleyball. I, I went to a lot of games when I was in Manhattan going to school because mm-hmm. students got in free. And, uh, man, Ahern would be packed. You know, half of the – they had it just set up so it was about half of the, of the arena there. So it was always packed, always really loud. Hated going in August when there was no air conditioning. It got pretty <laughs> warm in there. But, um, you know, I, I really enjoyed watching bo- volleyball back then. And now that my daughter's gotten into it quite a bit, um, and uh, we've got some, some uh, mothers who have are or have coached volleyball mm-hmm. and understand. So I've been able to sit and say, well, why do they do that? Or what's that mean? You know, and they've been really good at helping me out. I really enjoy watching good volleyball Same here. at this point. So Yeah. Same here. And at the collegiate D1 level, like, they're good. Um, I had K-State West Virginia at one point last year. I think I had Central Arkansas, Eastern Kentucky, which even though that's not the Big 12, it was really good volleyball. And um, I know the ACC's like the volleyball, the SEC of, of college volleyball. So it'll be, uh, it'll be good. But, no, in terms of my schedule um, – They've only given us week one. I don't know what week two or week three would look like. And for this volleyball match, it's on a Sunday. And so I said, you know, what what happens if you guys are wanting to put me on a football game? And they just said, well, we would just shift it around. Or we would put you on a football game that's out there uh, close to Blacksburg, Virginia, where Virginia Tech is. But, no, I signed a a contract with ESPN just late last week uh, since you and I have spoken. So I know how many events – uh, I will have guaranteed, and then they can give me up to a, a certain number on top of that. So, And now is that just for the fall sports season, or is that through basketball as well? It's a great question. So my contract runs August 27th through the third week in April. Okay. So that would cover football, basketball. The language reads 13 football games, 12 basketball, then like five miscellaneous. But they said that not to read into that, they, that can always be – 10 football and 15 basketball and three volleyball or they've talked about some lacrosse i told them i'll do anything i'll go do water polo like i i don't care i just love the art of broadcasting obviously football and basketball are where it's at but i'll i'll do whatever Hmm. well that's interesting yeah um that you could go i mean i i guess i never really thought that as far as your your job i guess with that microphone you could go do anything as long as you have that good analyst that understands yeah. and and can explain things when necessary that, that right. you don't necessarily need to have that in-depth knowledge of that game yeah and there's not a lot of people that know much about volleyball from a broadcasting standpoint yep. or water polo or lacrosse or even soccer so if you can put yourself in a position where you can at least fake it until you make it and sound like you know what you're talking about um 
you'd have a leg up on a lot of guys. So I did a soccer match uh, for Kansas State a couple of years ago. I know nothing about soccer. I didn't play soccer growing up. I ordered soccer for dummies on Amazon, <laughs> read it from front to back in like two days just to get through the broadcast. Yep. And I knew the, the, you know, the bones of the sport just by reading that. I could at least come up with things to ask my analyst. And on TV, it's okay to just lay out and let the cameras, you know, be the show. Right. You know, we're right. just adding captions to the pictures. Right. Football and basketball, a lot of guys struggle with that because they want to be, you know, so heavily involved in the broadcast that it's hard to lay out when there's an exciting moment because you're so pumped up. And uh, that's really, you know, that's a big part of it is to let the, the crowd and the ambient noise tell the story more so than your voice. Yep. Um, you just kind of have to pick your spots. Yep. No, and I, I don't remember if we talked about this or, or if I talked about this with somebody else, but that's one thing that as I've listened to other people that I find interesting and, and you know, when there, there's a big game and there's a a call at the end of that game and you see it on Twitter or listen to it on Twitter, you know, somebody posts it even sometimes when it's in a completely different language and you're listening to it, you know, um, it's, it's interesting how some of those guys, they understand that sometimes it's best to just not talk and you listen to the crowd noise and what's going on and you just kind of let it, sit there and then after it dies down then they'll come back on but uh understanding when to do that and when not is is pretty cool it is when it works out right here's here's a little like behind the scenes nugget that that i do um i'll use football for example because we're going into football season we're all pumped up about k-state and i know oklahoma fans listen to this podcast i think ku is actually going to be really good we can talk about that in a minute but when I'm calling a football game, and you'll see this if I have KU or K-State this year, so on TV, one thing about TV is you have to be right on top of the action. Mm-hmm. On radio, you can be a tick behind. Like if you listen to Mitch Holtis, you can tell that the guy's crossed the goal line, he's in the end zone, and Mitch Holtis a tick or two later will say touchdown. Right. In TV, you have to be right on it. So I make sure as soon as the player crosses the goal line, as the officials' hands are, are going up in the air to, to indicate a touchdown, I'm saying touchdown. Like, as he is crossing the plane, I am on it with touchdown. Then I lay out for three seconds, three Mississippis. So in my head, as soon as that player goes into the end zone, I say touchdown. I don't say anything for one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, because the crowd's always going crazy, sometimes even longer. And then you cap it with a nugget. Uh, say it's uh, Will Howard. That's his sixth rushing touchdown right. of the season or whatever interesting stat you want to bring to the table. If it's a big turning point in the in the game, touchdown, lay out, let the crowd take over, and then K-State's back on top, Right, whatever you want to do. Right. But it's so important. That's kind of how I had to get it ingrained into my head that it's not like it's, I'm not the star of the show. Right. Right. It's, the, it's, the, it's the crowd. It's the players on the field. And so I had to do that to kind of make myself not talk essentially in those big those big moments there you go little behind the scenes nugget that's what we're here for so that's pretty cool that's that's a cool little story so following up on a couple of other things from the last podcast um one of the things we we were talking about is uh um some of the people you've worked with and things like that one guy that i wanted to bring up that we didn't really talk about and 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 i guess i'm going to ask you do your cross paths ever cross is Fran Frischilla. Um, obviously the games that you're doing are typically not going to be the games that he's at, but 
do you, have you do your paths cross with him? Have you had some good, bad, ugly uh, experiences with him? I have had a couple of terrific experiences with Fran. Uh, he's one of my favorite college basketball personalities, analysts. Yes. I've watched him on TV my entire life. Um, this will be a great story. I'm glad you brought this up. So um, the first game that I had on ESPN2 um, was Iowa State Baylor in basketball this okay. past season. Fran didn't know who I was. Um, I'm on TV just calling the game, and I was working with King McClure. Well, after the game, King, uh, as it turns out, is being mentored by Fran. Okay. So King does a lot of Big 12 games, super young guy. Fran is really helping him to improve. This is just the kind of guy Fran is, super nice guy. He'd give you the shirt off his back in a, in a second. So King leaves me a, an audio message after the game uh, as we're leaving the, the, the arena and heading back our separate ways. And he says, hey, just a heads up, Fran uh, said that he loved your call and said that you did a great job of making me sound good and setting me up and asking me great questions. And um, I said, oh, man, that's awesome. You know, can you pass along that I'd love to talk to him sometime? So the next morning, I'm at the Pittsburgh airport getting ready to head back to Salina here. And Fran called me out of the blue. Uh, King had given him my number. And um, we had a probably a 15-minute conversation about how he's helping King, and that was the best that he thought King had ever sounded. And he was really complimentary of me because I got King to really get his energy up and get into the game and the broadcast. And uh, Fran was – he said some <laughs> some super nice things to me that I was – I was trying not to go all fanboy right, on right. because I love Fran yeah. just yeah. as much as the other guy yep. watching TV. But he said, James, he said uh, – I picked up the phone. He said, I knew you were new because if you weren't, we would have been doing games together for years. And that was like my holy crap, like I've made yeah. it kind yeah. of like yeah. moment. So I'm hoping to have some games with Fran yep. this year. I know that he's put in a good word for me. I know that I'll have That's about awesome. a dozen basketball games. They usually have me on Big 12 come basketball yep. season. So, man, I'm crossing my fingers that I could be paired up with Fran. Yep. Now, and I love listening to him, not only just when he's doing games, but all the stuff he does outside of when he's actually on the radio. I mean, I, I don't know that, that I've come across somebody who knows more about the college basketball game, knows more about the the, the teams that he's watching. And, and I, I mean, I know that you can always sit down and take the notes and all that kind of stuff, but it, it just comes so natural to him. And it's like he, he, he has so much information. Um, that every time I listen to him, you're like, man, I can't believe I yeah. didn't know that or I'd never heard that before. And He's a basketball encyclopedia. Yeah. And he also, he knows so much, even about like these smaller schools in our area. Yeah. I told him I was heading back to Salina. He starts rattling off coaches he used to, to coach with from the area. He was talking about Kansas Wesleyan and Bethany and McPherson and telling me about this great little diner that I've got to eat at in Wichita. Uh, because obviously that's where I flew in, and then do you remember where up. that was? By the way, I I would I would if you if you oh. said it. <laughs> it was this little little burger joint. It's it's, I know it's a uh, I've seen it on Twitter a couple of times. Okay, there's so, a little hamburger joint, a little hole in the wall diner that he swears by in Wichita. Okay, sorry, didn't mean to get you off track. No, I was it's just all right. curious. That was it. I was just in awe of how many connections he has yeah. at every level, and yep. he's like I said, super humble, super nice guy. Um, just really, really cool to talk to. 
That is cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I would imagine that's the case. You never know. I mean, their you know their personality on camera versus off can be different sometimes. But he just seems like he's that genuine, yep. real nice guy. And and you see him interacting with fans and stuff when he's you know at practices and things like that before season start. And just seems like he's uh, that, yep. that just very relaxed, cool guy. He so. is. Um, another question I was going to ask you about, and again, you maybe have not crossed paths with this person before or not. Um, but uh, obviously, since the last time we talked, there's been some situations down at West Virginia, um, and and Huggins is 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 no longer the coach there, at least at this point. I don't know what uh, the latest is on some of those lawsuits and stuff. But have you ever had cross paths with Eilert or had you know the who they've uh, uh, named as the uh, interim head coach? I guess at this point, and and obviously he's got some roots back at K State. Um, did we talk about him last time? Or? We may have. He's from okay. Osborne. Okay. And, yeah, who would have thought that from the last time we recorded to now that he'd <laughs> be the head coach? Yeah. I mean, he's the dude. Um, I, I, I love Josh Eiler. Super nice guy. Family man. Has three kids. Married. Uh, has really settled into Morgantown. Seems to love it there. I, I just don't know how he's going to – handle that situation it's a bad situation it's a terrible situation man they've got transfers coming in they've got uh uh you know they they, it's not an easy team to manage and bob huggins was the master at that because everybody was terrified of him yep and now you go from that personality to josh eilert's a guy that wants to be your buddy he doesn't seem to have that alpha in him and that's not a knock on him as a as a a person or a coach it's just very different from what huggins was um, but, you know, I, I think just in terms of talent, they'll be okay because, like I said, they had the number one transfer class in the country coming in. I think, as far as I know, all of those guys are, are going to stick it out and stay at West Virginia. Um, and so just in terms of talent, I, I think there's some pieces there, but I, I don't know long-term if that's going to be the answer. It would be really cool if it was because – and maybe he's different behind the scenes. You know, he didn't have a lot to say at practice um, because – also, he wasn't their second in command. He wasn't the associate right, head coach. Right. That was Ron Harrison, right. who also got who got fired midseason by Bob Huggins himself. Okay, I didn't realize that because that was my next question. Was I knew he wasn't second in command. He was there, like third so, or okay. fourth, third at best, because Harrison yeah. was number two, and then Harrison and Huggins, who had been together for like forty years, something happened behind the scenes. We don't know, but it was very odd that Harrison got let go right in the middle of the season. Uh, when West Virginia was struggling. Yeah. So, hmm. I don't know. I think yep. it's uh, the Big 12 is going to be stacked, well, so it's going to be hard. I think that, you know, with Huggins now suing the university, saying that he never actually told them he resigned, and not that no matter what happens that he's ever going to come back and coach there, but now you've got lawsuits and all this kind of stuff hanging over the program. You know this is going to be drug out. You know this is going to be the topic of conversation once things progress at some point. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking maybe that's a good thing for him, that you can kind of fly under the radar a little bit while all these other distractions going on over here that the media is focused on. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, that's just a bad situation to be in there right now. It is, and I was actually shocked that Bob Huggins fought it. I was shocked by the entire thing. I was surprised yeah. by the incident. I was uh, stunned that West Virginia 
didn't fire him immediately and then ultimately did pull the trigger. Um, there was just a lot happening there. But I felt like, and I, I called West Virginia's last home game of right. the season. I had their senior night game because it was against K-State. And uh, I felt like, I felt like that was Bob Huggins' last game in that arena. He had a bunch of family in town. He was uh, real chummy with everybody before the game, and it didn't seem focused on the game itself at all. And I was calling the game with Tim Welsh, who knows Bob Huggins from when they were in the Big East together, when Huggins was at Cincinnati. Welsh was the coach at Providence in the late 90s, and so they're really good friends. And Tim Welsh told me, he's like, that looks like a coach who's about to retire. Wow. So in the back of my mind, I'm like, okay, Bob Huggins, is he's had a great year. They're going to the tournament. They're losing, like, their entire team to graduation. They had a bunch of seniors. I thought he was going to just step down in terms of retirement. He does not move well. When we talk yeah. with him, like, he's always sitting down. He doesn't get up and down very often. That's why he has that stool. If you notice, he's not pacing up and down the yeah. sidelines near as much as he used to. Like, I watched him physically struggle to, to, to get up and down out of the, the seat that we were interviewing him uh, in. So I just uh, – I'm stunned that he's trying to keep it going. I feel like he's done enough, and he should call it yeah. call it a career. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I, you don't ever want a coach like that to go out that way. But, uh, I mean, it was – man, I you read the police report, you're like, I mean, there's this is black and white, like – <laughs> there's no right. gray area with the situation and right. what was going on and and so for him to to go around and start fighting I was just yeah I was like do you really want to go down Did this Did you see road? what his daughter so, said? Yeah, on oh social yeah. Media? Oh yeah. yeah. He collects cans yeah. in his free yeah. time. That's yeah. why he had all yeah. those empty beer cans <laughs> in, in his passenger yeah. seat. Yeah. No, whenever shit like that oh sorry, stuff like that happens, we you should probably just stay off Twitter for oh, the weekend yeah. or whatever yeah. so. Yeah. Well, hey, one other story um that uh, we meant to get to last time, and we ran out of time. Um, it, I want to I revisit this. Um, you have an interesting story about Marquise Noel. Um, for those of, of you that uh, are not K-State fans that listen to this, he uh, was uh, the point guard for K-State the last two years, just uh, graduated, and, and hopefully he's going to maybe find a spot somewhere in the NBA. Uh, I know he's been uh, tearing up the summer league here and there. But uh, tell us your story about this. And Yeah. It, it's not necessarily a comical story, but remember when Marquise Noel transferred to Kansas State, he came from UALR, which is Arkansas Little Rock. And I've done a ton of work in Arkansas with, with Little Rock and Central Arkansas and uh, – the, the story that I got was, and when you, the more we were around Marquise Noel, it really made sense. So he had two really good seasons at UALR. They fired a coach, brought in a new coach, and he was there through December. And nobody really knew what happened. Like, did he get kicked off? Did he quit the team? You know, how did he end up just not playing the back half of the season? And he was having a pretty good year. Not as good as the year before, but a pretty good year. And then, obviously, remember, he sat out, transferred to K-State, uh, played a year under Bruce Weber, had that incredible season this past year with Tang, and now he's tearing it up in the NBA Summer League yep. and might actually have a shot at definitely to, to make a G League roster. But the thing that Marquise Noel and I think Tang hit it off so well with is that Marquise Noel is a really smart basketball player. Like, he'll call plays. He'll come up with plays. 
uh, in the huddle. He does a lot of coaching himself. He's just he has a really high basketball IQ. Mm-hmm. And so at UALR, the coach that recruited him that he played for the first two years would let him do that. They would let him, you know, chime in. They actually had one really good season, and it was a big surprise that they even fired the guy. So they bring in this new coach, and he's a former NBA player. He played for the Bulls. I think he won an NBA championship in the early 90s. So he's got this NBA pedigree. Hadn't actually done a lot in terms of wins and losses, collegiately coaching, but they bring him in because he's a big name, and he's going to help sell tickets. Turns out him and Marquise Noel are butting heads from the get-go. This guy doesn't want him calling any plays. This coach doesn't want him, you know, giving any input. And they're just they're, they're clashing in terms of their personalities. So at halftime of one of the UALR games, they're in the locker room, and Marquise Noel is, is talking to his teammates about things they can do, do, do differently. Uh, the head coach doesn't like it. They get in, an, in not a physical altercation but a verbal alter, altercation. Marquise Noel quits at halftime, right on the spot, says, I'm done, like, I can't take this. Basically, I'm smarter than you, I'm out of here. Well, it's a road game. Like, where does he go, right? He's got he's to yeah. figure out a way to get back to UALR. <laughs> yeah. He yeah. quits at halftime. So he just he pops up in the stands, like, puts his warm-ups on, sits like two rows behind the bench, and cheers on his teammates like a fan. Like, he was still supporting his teammates, and it's obviously a smaller college. There's not a lot of people there. And he's just behind the bench. He's quit the team. He's going to ride back with them. And that was it. That was the end of his UALR career. <laughs> I can see him. Bag of popcorn in yep, his hands. Exactly. His feet up on the chair in front yeah. of him. <laughs> yeah. But, like, there was a lot of kind of like, oh, Marquise Noel, he quit UALR. And, you know, there was this huge fallout. And really what I got from that was I can kind of see that. Like, they brought in a new coach. He's a really high IQ basketball player. The coach is not letting him have any input on what can help the team. He quits at halftime, supports his bros, chills behind the bench for, for you know the final 20 minutes of the game, rides home with the team, and he's never seen again in, in Little Rock, Arkansas. It's just uh, That's crazy. It's wild. So, uh, so he did ride back with the team. Mm-hmm. So he did get a ride back. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's good. Yeah. At least they didn't leave him there. Right, just leave him there in the arena. Uber, Uber back, yeah. wherever they were at. So. That's interesting, yeah. And you know, I you know there was a lot of times over the course of the past basketball season where there was a a, a defining play of that game, and and of course, when that happens, then you win. Questions come up in the post game press conferences, um, and and there was a lot of times where that discussion was around. Oh yeah, we you know we saw. They were doing this, this, and this, so we came up with this idea and thought we'd try it. And um, the uh, the one that I can specifically think of, I'm trying to remember, was it the Michigan State game when they did the uh, the play where uh, yep. he was looking over at yep. Tang like he was getting a play call and yep. no look alley oop and yep. um, just things like that. That it's like you can tell uh, those coaches that let the players play and let them come up with some of those kind of things because. When you're looking at X's and O's, a coach that's probably that play right there is probably not something that a coach oh, right. is going to no. draw up, you know. Um, but you know, hey, we do this on the playground all the time. It's yeah. always worked. Let's try it, type of thing, and and to give them the freedom. Obviously, there's a lot of trust there with with Tang giving him the freedom to do some of those kind of things. And sometimes it didn't work out, but a lot of times it did. So yeah, he he's one of the the few college basketball players 
since this modern era transfer portal began that transferred up and actually was more productive. Like a lot of times guys transfer up and they don't play as much, their numbers plummet. They right. think they can do what Marquise Noel did, but a lot of times it doesn't work out. And I think it was just all about fit. And he was a better player under Bruce Weber than he was at UALR. Mm-hmm. That coach has since been fired, by the way, the UALR coach uh, that he had his uh, disagreement with. And then Jerome Tang just took him to the next level. Yep. And Tang, with Marquise Noel getting all Big 12, that's now 18 of the last 19 point guards that Jerome Tang has coached has been all conference yep. in some capacity. That's what I was just going to say. It's you insane. can see his influence with his coaching of point guards oh, yeah. with Noel that last season, yep. that, that jump that he took. Which the, the thing that's exciting is K-State has Tyler Perry coming in yes. this year, transfer from North Texas. I had North Texas in the NIT. Kid went off for like 30 points at Oklahoma State. He's another guy that his production is going to be even better than it was at North Texas at Kansas State because it's a totally different system. It's going to fit him really well. And he's a different player than Marquise Noel. He plays off the ball mm-hmm. more than Shoots, Noel does. Yeah. He's more of a scorer yeah. than Noel. Um, but it's going to be uh, he's going to be fun to watch. Yep. No. And we'll we'll get to that when we get to the basketball season. Um, I think uh, K State's going to be under the radar this this year, and I, and I don't think they'll be as good as they were last year. I don't think they'll end up with an elite eight type of year. But uh, you know, you you see those guys. I mean, they're going to be playing a lot of freshmen this year. And building that program to where it's not going to be the Bruce Weber up and down. It's it's going to be steady with some years. It's going to go up, but you're never going to have those valleys that right. that Weber. And that's I've talked about that on this podcast before. That I appreciate what Bruce Weber did at K State. I mean, he did more than the last four, five, six. I don't remember how many you go back combined, but his peaks were very high. Yep. But those lows were lower than any other coach in the history of K-State in some cases. And it's hard to get past those. So I agree 1,000%. I liked Bruce Weber, but ultimately that's that's what did him in was he had too many lows in his last three years were all lows. And you can't have that many in a row. You can have one. You can have a – you can't have – I don't even think you can have two back-to-back lows. I think you can have one low and one, okay, that didn't turn out how we'd hoped. But you can't have three. No, absolutely. I think you can have two – Depending on the circumstances that come with that, I mean, you know, and I know COVID is a once-in-a-lifetime thing, but you have a low during COVID. I mean, that's that's a hard thing to to, to deal with. But, yeah, three in a row, you're, you can't use COVID as an excuse anymore. So, all right, we got about uh, 14 minutes here left in this, in this last podcast um, or in this first podcast of the season here. So let's talk about realignment. That's been an, a subject uh, that's popped up, obviously, over the past week or so. Um, Man, I don't even know where to start on this. Uh, so you got Colorado joining the Big 12 to start with. Um, I think it's funny that um, your opinions change on this when you're the one that's worried about what's going to happen. And, and what I mean by that is when Colorado left, everybody said, see ya, you're a Pac-12 school anyway or Pac-10 school at the time. You're, you, you belong out there. You're more like them than you are us here in the Midwest. I could argue that Colorado, I mean, I know that Oregon, and we'll get into that, is, is the domino that ultimately fell that caused this. But Colorado jumping ship first, I think, opened everybody's eyes. And the Big 12, not wanting to be in the situation they were in a few years ago, 
takes him with open arms, says, yes, come back, old Big A. What happened to all those people that were like, you're, you're not even, you, you don't belong here, like leave, you know, and now they're all excited about it coming back. What's your thoughts on Colorado coming back? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I wasn't in the camp that I was uh, bitter or, um, you know, upset that they left. I got it. Uh, I was sad. I, I, I loved the old Big 8. I loved the original Big 12. Even that was weird to me when we went from the Big 8 to the Big 12 mm-hmm. and added the Texas schools. I love Colorado coming back. I think it's going to be great. Um, Colorado, you know, they're they're kind of they're a bit of a, a enigma because I don't know that they belong in either conference. Correct. You know, I would agree just, with that. They're a little bit too far west for the Big Twelve. They're a little bit, you know, too far east for the Pac Twelve in terms of uh, just everything that goes into a fit for a conference. So uh, I'm excited because of the Deion Sanders factor. I probably wouldn't be as excited. Uh, yep. If it wasn't for him, but I think that's a huge draw. And I swear, I don't have any uh, behind-the-scenes stuff to share, but I, I just have a gut feeling that Deion Sanders knew Colorado was going to the Big 12 when he took that job. I just have a feeling that that, that, that was part of the deal because when you look at where he recruited when he was at Jackson State, obviously his history with the Cowboys, Colorado traditionally, it all, it all comes back to recruiting the state of Texas. When Colorado was in their heyday, uh, going to, to Rose Bowls and even back in the 90s when they were really good, they were recruiting hard the state of Texas. And you look at their roster, there's hardly a Texas kid on it because of the Pac-12. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think the fact that, that Dion and his Texas ties and him taking that job, it all it's just way too coincidental to me, uh, them coming back to the Big 12. I think this is, had been in the works for a while. So I'm here for it. You know, I miss Nebraska. I miss those rivalries. I miss Missouri. I miss those rivalries. I know K-State Missouri playing the non-conference in football, and now KU's playing them in basketball, which is fine. But it's just not the same. Yeah. Uh, So I I miss it the way it was. I'm not a huge fan of conference realignment. But with that said, uh, I'm a big fan of what Brett Yormack has done. Yes. Because you can't get left behind. If, 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 If that's the direction college football college sports in general is headed you've got to be a part of it and uh and he was he was he was one of the i'm a firm believer that if bowlsby was still the commissioner of the big 12 the big 12 today as we sit here and talk would probably not exist um i think that it would have been the opposite i think the pac-12 probably would have taken some teams which causes your sec or acc or to to take a couple here and there and next thing you know there's going to be about four or five teams that are just kind of stuck in the middle there k-state probably being one of those teams and as much as ku fans don't want to admit it i i think that ku probably would have been in that situation as well so his aggressiveness in doing this um i think is ultimately what's going to save the big 12 um interesting stat i saw (laughs) so Keep in mind that Colorado left the conference 12 years ago. So it's been 12 years since they played a Big 12 game. And with them joining the Big 12, they have 15 more Big 12 conference wins in football than KU does. Playing Big 12 teams? Yes. (laughs) Big 12 (laughs) conference wins. Colorado has 15 more than KU does at this point, and they were out of the conference for 12 years. Oh man, that, now that that that's that's a dig, Kevin. That's it a is. dig. I, you know, I got to get one I in know. every every I episode. Know. I know, and 
KU, man, they had some rough years in there. Colorado's kind of going through that now. I didn't realize how many Big 12 teams Colorado still played Mm -hmm. uh, while they were out of the conference. But I love going out there, man. I went to Boulder last year. I walked around on the campus. In terms of my career and working with ESPN and knowing that they have the rights to the Big 12, I have a very different perspective from a fan perspective as I do a career perspective. In terms of my career, I am ecstatic. I'd love to go out to Colorado and do football and basketball games. I'd love to go to Arizona in February for a basketball game. I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah, Tucson is – I love the University of Arizona Sign me up. Now, from a fan's perspective, okay, it's a little weird. Do these schools really belong? But from a broadcasting standpoint, I can't wait. And Colorado, I don't know what they're going to do in terms of their football stadium. It needs – some some renovations it's in pretty rough shape like mm-hmm. just just it's like an old beat up house like it's a really nice house that just is is really old and beat up and needs some work yep so i think they've got to get that done well and, and i think it, it's the same as ku I, you got this chicken or the egg thing because you know you, you look at ku and they're you know everybody knows the stadium needs help do you wait until they get good and you get some interest that's when the money starts rolling in but you don't have the facilities to attract the kids to do that, or you got to put the money into it with the hope that something changes. Now, I think to your point, I, I don't even know if I want to say this yet. the The Dion experiment, I'm going to call it at this point. I think it's going to go very, very well or very, very poorly. I don't think there's any kind of middle ground. Um, and if it goes well, I think you're going to see some major changes with athletics at the University of Colorado there in Boulder. Yeah. Um, if it doesn't go well, unfortunately, I think it's going to set them back farther than than they already have been. I mean, when you're when you're you know when you're dealing with the transfer portal and bringing all these transfers in, if if this year doesn't and I say go well, I mean everybody's definition of what that is is probably a little different. But you know, if they go two and ten this year which i don't think they will but if they did and you got people transferring out and you know shit's gonna hit the fan it's it's gonna be an interesting year i I think this is a huge huge year for the university of colorado yeah i agree my my personal just opinion is i actually think it's going to go very well I, i think they're going to be a, a I don't know what their non-conference schedule looks like but the Pac-12 is is not you know you've got USC and you've got Utah and you've got Oregon outside of that I'm not sure there's a team that they're not capable of beating mm-hmm. so I it wouldn't shock me to see them win eight or nine football games this year because when you look at the type of guys he's brought in just in terms of mm-hmm. sheer talent all these guys were five-star blue chip prospects out of high school a lot of them were producing at their previous schools. It's not like they were all highly touted recruits that didn't work out at their first stop and they're trying to be reborn at Colorado. A lot of these guys were really productive at their last schools. And I look at what Lincoln Riley did at USC. Same model. Brought in all these transfers. Travis Dye at running back. Oregon transfer. Jordan Addison at receiver. Bolitnikoff award winner from Pitt. Caleb Williams at quarterback. Oklahoma. He, he built that USC team, and they went from four wins to, you know, essentially a loss away last year from playing in the college football playoff. Mm-hmm. I don't think Colorado's going to be quite that good, 
But I think that model of just loading up with as many skilled, talented baller guys as you can. Yep. He's got his son at quarterback who obviously knows the system like the back of his <laughs> Shit, hand. Yeah. And he was a top 20 recruit yep. out of high school. You know, he just followed his dad to Jackson State and had ridiculous numbers down there. Uh, I think that Colorado is going to be good right away. I do. Well, and for the record, I don't disagree with you. I did put a what I would call sizable bet on the over on their win total for the season. Which is how many wins? I w- I'd have to go back and look. I want to say it was four and a half. Oh. So I don't even have to get to a bowl. Um, but that's also the reason why I say it could go poorly quickly is because they don't. They, to your point, the teams they're playing, they should be beating. So if they're not, then that's when I think it can go re- – very quickly go south. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so, well, yeah. And so, uh, you know, going back to the realignment, and, and then obviously the news here recently is the addition of Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah to, to hopefully uh, kind of round out this this uh, realignment stuff for now. Um, to your point, I, I'm, I'm excited about getting to go to some new places. Um, I wasn't real excited about going to a game in Houston or Cincinnati. But going to Tucson, Tempe, which I've been to, I've been to both places before, but but not for a K State game. Um, I'm pretty excited about getting to travel to some new places uh, coming up. What I, what will be interesting and what I don't know yet, and and nobody knows, is how they're going to schedule this with this many teams. I hate. I, I know it was coming. You can't do anything about it. I hate not playing everybody. Yep, me too. Um, and having that unbalanced schedule, I guess, is the term that they call it. And, and we'll talk about that in the next episode with uh, with the Big 12 preview um, and what that's going to look like. But, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited about going down to Tucson to, to see K-State play and um, some new places. So we'll, uh, we'll see how it goes. But I think it's funny that the narrative right now is that the Big 12 is what ruined the Pac-12. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a great point. I mean, when, when – I it depends on how far back you want to go. Oregon is what started this, what ultimately ended it. But I would go back and say USC and Utah started this whole conversation we're having now between the Big 12 and the Pac-12. Oh, uh, and USC and UCLA? Yeah, when yeah they, sorry. Oh, yeah, when, yeah, oh, when they left. Yeah, that, that, I mean, that, that was the beginning of the end for the buried, Pac-12. Buried the so, conference. Because that TV numbers were going to be de- – revenue numbers were going to be down at that point with your biggest market mm-hmm. being out. Yep. Um I just like to go back and blame it on Texas and OU leaving for the SEC. Yeah. I, I, I hate to do it without Phil sitting here to right. to defend OU, but uh, I mean that's ultimately the domino that that yeah. I think started this whole yeah. thing. Well, and the new Big Twelve. Something that I love is the fact that there's a lot of rivalries within this conference with these new additions. Obviously, KU and K State are still there. Uh, with Oklahoma and Oklahoma State now splitting up. Uh, I think that bringing in Arizona and Arizona State, which have a a heated rivalry, bringing in BYU and Utah, which is probably a top-five rivalry in all of sports. Mm -hmm. I mean, they weren't in the same conference. The Holy War. But those guys hate each other. (laughs) And now that they're in the same league, that's going to be fun to watch. So, you know, Colorado and K-State always had kind of an unspoken rivalry, especially in the 90s. And so – I feel like there is a little bit of, I don't want to say nostalgic because it's also new, but just in terms of rivalries where a lot of the past rivalries have been broken up with conference realignment, and the Big 12 is at least adding some. So it's going to be weird. It's going to be a huge conference. I'm with you. I don't like that you're not going to play everybody. It's impossible. Yep. Uh, you'll play a lot of teams just once in basketball. 
you'll play your rivals in the the close proximity schools probably twice in basketball but in football I mean you'll go you know a, a football team especially in the transfer portal era can look very different you know skipping a year like K-State Two years from now, who knows what they'll look like? Who knows what Colorado will look like mm-hmm. or KU? Like when you're not playing those guys every year, it's just, it, it's 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 going to be madness. Yep. No, and it's, I mean, you look at the SEC and how some of these teams in the same conference don't even play each other for like six years. <laughs> like it's, yeah. uh, I I hate that. I I know I know this is direction college football is going. I know ESPN and and TV money are what's driving this. Um, where 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 we where we've ended up, I guess I should say. But uh, you knew it was coming. But I, I just hate to see that and get into these pods now. And you got teams of four, and and uh, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I I feel pretty confident. I'm hoping that K State, KU, Iowa State will kind of remain. You know, if they even they break it down to like four team pods yeah. type of thing, just geographically. Um, so it's kind of nice to have those because those are definitely games I, I don't want to miss and enjoy playing. Maybe not in basketball so much, but <laughs> <laughs> um, in football. And, and uh, it, it'll be interesting to see what they end up doing with the schedule. I know they're working on that right now, and, and everybody's kind of waiting on that. So, well, I, <laughs> It's interesting you mentioned your mark because like, I truly think he's done more for the Big 12 than Bowlesby or BB. I mean, let's let's combine since since the Big Twelve really started. Um, it's it's amazing. Now they're talking about having just basketball teams join as well mm-hmm. uh, with Gonzaga and I think I heard what Villanova and UConn. UConn was yeah. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's it's going to be interesting to see where the, in a year from now we'll probably be talking about something completely different here. So Yeah, because UConn is an independent in football. Gonzaga, they don't play football. Now, if Villanova's an FCS school, they'd be a little tricky, but a UConn or a Gonzaga in basketball, absolutely insane. Yeah. The strength of this league. I oh, mean, this this yeah. league already yeah. in basketball Number one. It is the premier yes. conference, yes. and it only gets better yeah. adding Arizona. Yeah. I mean, Arizona, I know they got upset in the first round of the tournament this year, but a lot of people thought they were a team that could have won the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Adding them, and you just added Houston? Yep. I mean, that you – You've just added two perennial powers to a league that's already been the number one yep. conference the last seven years in a row. Yep. No, it's uh, <laughs> it's basketball. Um, you know, it's it's you talk about the Big Twelve, and there's always how many losses is the winning team going to have? Because it's a tough before adding those teams. You know, four, five, sometimes six. So to add some of those teams that you mentioned, and thinking that. I mean, the team that wins the conference might have eight losses, which depending on when those losses happen, you might be down towards the bottom of the top 25 if those, some of those losses happen late in the season and then to turn around and make a run in the tournament and yeah. make it to the final four. It's going to be interesting mm-hmm. with, with those teams uh, again. But, you know, we may not have those teams playing each other every year. I, right. I would think maybe once. Yeah, probably I, for I, basketball. I would say that's safe. I, I think that you know the Big Twelve just announced their new scheduling model this year for basketball, and so you know the opponents, you know if it's a home or away game, right. and it does seem like that's the model that they're following: is you play everybody once, and then you play your rivals 
uh, or the the schools that you have, you know, the closest proximity to Mm -hmm. twice. So K-State's always going to play KU twice, probably always going to play Iowa State twice, probably Oklahoma State twice. And then outside of that, it's kind of – it's kind of a crapshoot in terms yep. of who you'll play twice. Yep. But I at least like that for basketball, that you see everybody once. Even if you don't get them at home, you know, at least you play them right. every year. Right. Whereas in football, you're, it's, that's not going to happen. So no. not enough games. So, All right. Well, we're a little bit over an hour, so uh, we'll wrap this first episode up. It's good to be back. It uh, was a long uh, three-month vacation we took there, but uh, – Thanks for listening to uh, episode number one, and uh, we're going to turn around and record episode number two right now, which is going to be our Big 12 preview for football that we do every year. Make some predictions. Uh, You guys can tell us why we're right or wrong, but uh, we'll be back uh, with that next episode here in a couple weeks. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Kevin and Phillip Project Podcast. If you would like more information about our podcast, guests, and to join in on the discussion, please visit our Facebook page www.facebook.com slash Kevin Phillip Project. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to our podcast and tell your friends about us.